I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. We'll read together Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. We'll focus on the entire passage, but especially verses 23 through 24, 22 through 24. Acts 11, beginning at verse 19. Now when those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only, some of them who were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, those are the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus, the hand of the Lord was with them, And a great number believed and turned to the Lord. The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. But when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And encouraged them with all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did. They sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. May God bless the reading and also the exposition of his word, beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may recall the last time I was with you, we began a series looking at the book of Acts through the life of Barnabas. You may recall Barnabas is introduced to us at the end of Acts 2 as really an ordinary member of the church with his origins on the island of Crete. We never really hear Barnabas' voice. He's present throughout the book of Acts. And he actually plays a relatively significant role, even though he's not prominent, like, for example, Peter or Paul. As I mentioned last time, it is very important whenever you approach the Scriptures through the lens of any person that we not turn the sermon into a case study as if we need to be like Barnabas. Barnabas was a man, he was a sinner in need of grace. And our calling today is not to preach Barnabas, but Christ. And yet, as we will see this afternoon, Christ, in his church gathering work, is very pleased. In fact, he almost exclusively uses men like Barnabas. Last time we saw Barnabas in the context of him being a church member. You may recall at the end of Acts 2, as the church is being gathered, 
There were many needs in the church, and we had men like Barnabas sell their possessions and give of their goods to the church so that indeed the poor among them also had, would have resources. And then we saw Barnabas again in Acts 9 when Paul is on the road to Damascus. And everyone's suspicious of Paul. Barnabas goes. He meets with Paul. And he takes him to the church in Jerusalem. And puts his credibility on the line. And we saw the fact, looking also at Romans 12, that the gift of encouragement with Bar- which Barnabas clearly and explicitly had is not the only gift needed in the church. Passages like Romans 12 and also in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, we have a whole list of gifts that ordinary members of the church are given and are called to use for the advancement of the church. And so in our first sermon, we looked very much at Barnabas, the church member. And we saw how church members are very important. Well, since we left Barnabas in Acts 9, the Bible, the, the narrative, Luke telling the, God, the narrative there, changes tack significantly. In Acts 10, there is the, spirit, the story of Peter going to the house of Cornelius. And you'll remember the fact that he had this vision of unclean animals. And Peter, being a good Jew, was very concerned that the Jewish prescriptions about diet and orthodoxy be upheld. In the vision he heard the Lord say, don't call unclean what I have called clean. God is beginning to instruct the church in the New Testament, which at this time is made up primarily of Jews who believed in Jesus and really saw themselves as an offspring of the Jewish faith, almost a a group within Judaism, God is doing the work to instruct them that no, the Christian faith, the Christian church, is something different than the Old Testament Jewish church. There is a significant change in many of the ways of worship, many of the aspects of how the church will work, and God is instructing them, and he instructs Peter through a vision, and as we see, he instructs the church through practice, even as we have it in our passage here. And so word comes to the church in Jerusalem that in Antioch, where many of the people who had been scattered were preaching and had been preaching exclusively to the Jews, that there were some who had been preaching to the Hellenists or to the Greeks. And they had believed and were joining the church. And church in Jerusalem didn't know what to make of this. Should they be encouraged because there were more people believing in Jesus? But these people weren't Jews. Did they have to become circumcised? Did they have to continue with the sacrifices? Did they have to continue with the prayers in the temple? What exactly had to be done? So as our passage begins we have the church sending Barnabas to go to Antioch to investigate on their behalf. Well, let's consider this passage together this afternoon. God's church encouraged by Barnabas the office bearer. 
want to draw your attention to four points. Barnabas is equipped, he is sent, he is used, and the church is blessed. As I mentioned, the last time that all church members have gifts that are to be used in the context of the church. Could the church at Jerusalem have sent any member along the way? It's quite clear from the passage along the way that they didn't just send any member, they sent Barnabas very particularly. We're told in verse 24 why it was specifically that they chose Barnabas of all of the, of the members in the church. It wasn't as if Barnabas stuck up his hand and said, send me. No, they saw that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now, there's no reason to believe he was the only one in Jerusalem who had these characteristics. And yet, the Scripture is drawing our attention specifically to these characteristics. And when we let Scripture interpret Scripture and we consider the instruction of Titus and Timothy regarding the characteristics of office bearers, we see that they chose the man among them whom God had prepared. It says he was a good man. The term really speaks of his disposition, of his character. He was, he was someone who was inclined to see the good in others. He was friendly. He was caring. Well, you don't need to be a Christian to do that, and you don't need to be an office bearer to do that. And yet there are many who don't necessarily have that as their leading characteristic. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was not someone who relied on himself. It was very evident that God had changed him, that he had been convinced that the Holy Spirit was in him. And those around could see from his witness of his faithfulness. And he was a man, it says, of faith. What is faith? How do you know when you see someone who's full of faith? Well, there's two things to faith, isn't there? Heidelberg Catechism tells us faith is not only a certain knowledge, but also an assured confidence. When it says he was full of faith, it means he knew what he believed. This was the early church. Just a few years earlier, all of them, all of the members of the church were Jews. Now Jesus had come. They were in the midst of learning the doctrines and understanding, and some undoubtedly were far more advanced than others in understanding exactly how this all worked. And what it was, the church, as we see throughout the book of Acts, was in need of instruction. And while Barnabas undoubtedly had more to learn, he was a teacher. He was full of faith. But that faith wasn't just a head knowledge. It's not just that he had learned the doctrines well. Faith is a confidence. He lived out of those doctrines. There was a consistency in his life that emerged from that. What else do we know about Barnabas here? 
Well, it's quite clear that when Barnabas thinks of the church, he doesn't just think of the very local gathering. He has a global sense of the church and of what God is doing. And so it is, he was in Jerusalem, but he willingly went to Antioch. He was not indifferent to the fact that God was doing things in Antioch as, we, as the passage begins. The persecution after Stephen caused Christians to travel from Phoenicia to Cyprus to Antioch. Barnabas wasn't, okay, well, that's happening there. I'm only interested in what's happening in my local congregation. No, Barnabas was someone who was concerned about the global church. We see that at the end of the passage as well, don't we? When he's in Antioch and he hears of the concern that's in Jerusalem, he doesn't say, well, I'm no longer there, I'm now here. No, he's involved in organizing relief for the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas clearly had earned the trust of those around him. He was given a leadership role and he was sent. When we read for the qualifications of office bearers in Titus and Timothy, there are 25 different characteristics listed in those passages, but among them is the fact of having a good reputation in the community, not just in the church, in the community. Those whom God calls for office, he prepares by being exemplary witnesses. Barnabas' leadership role was evident in Jerusalem and then also in Antioch. He clearly immediately emerged to a leadership position. He was there for a year, and when they had money to send back in an age in which there wasn't the security of funds that we can have today when you needed a very reliable person to, if you were going to give a significant amount of money to transfer, Barnabas was one of those who were trusted. And so we can take a look at the details here and look at them in light of what the New Testament teaches us also about the qualifications of office bearer and see that Barnabas was qualified to be an office bearer. Now, was that providential luck, as we might say? Boy, the church at Antioch was fortunate to have a man like Barnabas at that time. No, actually, if we're to understand the book of Acts, we are to see the fact that Barnabas is not there by accident, but God placed him in his providence there. You see, the way that God is pleased to call his church, to grow his church, is through the offices. Where a faithful church is present, God has promised that there will be office bearers. God uses office bearers for the gathering and the upbuilding of the church. That's part of the message of the book of Acts. And what we have here is a concrete case study of God at work building his church. Well, that doesn't mean it's always easy. This is the second of what I expect to be five sermons on Barnabas. In the next sermon, we'll look at Barnabas going on a missionary journey and facing persecution from outside. It wasn't an easy task to be an office bearer. 
Then we're going to come to Acts 15, and Barnabas is going to go to Synod and have to deal with a dispute. The very final sermon, we'll see Paul and Barnabas having a squabble, and it not ending all that well. Oh yes, Barnabas' service as an office bearer is not straightforward, comfortable, easy service. Most of what we have recorded for us about Barnabas' difficulty. But, and this is the point I want us to understand from as we begin, God, where He places His church, gifts them with office bearers, and He qualifies those office bearers. That is part of the way in which God gathers His church. That ought to provide comfort for the church. It is part of the promise that when Jesus ascended into heaven that He would distribute gifts to the church and through those gifts would use to gather the church. And sometimes that brings through difficult ways, but we have the comfort that when the Lord equips, as as heavy as the burden can sometimes seem, we can be sure of His promise also to provide. Yes, God qualifies office bearers, and He qualified Barnabas. But as we see in the second point, it wasn't just an objective measure of the qualifications. Barnabas is sent Office in the church is not a bottom-up thing that you apply for. No, the offices in the church are a holy office because God places men in that office in the place of Christ. Christ builds His church as the divine office-bearer, prophet, priest, and king. What does He do? He calls men to be present in the church to bear those offices. And through those men He is present as prophet, priest, and king. That's a high calling. Is it wrong to desire the office? 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. No, love for the church also will bring a love to serve the church. And yet we see throughout the Bible very clearly that this is not a task that a man should take on himself, but he needs to be called, he needs to be sent by the church. It was already evident in the Old Testament, wasn't it? God said to Moses in Exodus 28.1, Take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him, that he may minister to me as a priest, Aaron and his sons. On the other hand, we also have Isaiah in the midst of seeing that vision. Holy, holy, holy. Who will go? He says, here am I, Lord. Send me. Yes, there is a sense in which when God calls to office, He places a burden on the heart of the individual, but He also puts it in the heart of the church officially to call such a man. We see that in the New Testament as well, right? The disciples, they were called by Jesus. Jesus didn't have a sign-up sheet and say, I want 12 disciples who's volunteering. No, he went around and he called specific men who'd been prepared. And then when Judas needed to be replaced in the New Testament, what was the instruction? 
sorry, not Judas, um, Judas being replaced, yes, that was, they, they, they selected Matthias there, but sorry, when the deacons were established in Acts 6, what was the instruction? Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. They were sought out of the church. They were officially sensed by the church. Acts twenty twenty eight. Paul to the elders at Ephesus, take heed to yourselves, to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. In our text, we have it quite clear that Barnabas didn't volunteer. He was sent. We're not told of the details of the process by which the church at Jerusalem selected Barnabas from the other men. But the very fact that he was sent meant that there was an initiative that came from the church. That's very important when we think of the nature of office and how that office exercised and functions within the church. The church is not a democracy. The mandate of the consistory comes from God. And while in church history there have been various processes to discern the will of God, and we have our own processes for the selections of office bearers, let's remember that even when we're voting, we are not voting giving the mandate that our elders and our deacons and our pastor have an authority because they got the majority of votes cast by the congregation, not at all. They only have authority if they're called by God and the processes that we use are processes of discerning the will of God as to which men he would have us lead us at this particular time. Fear that sometimes this is a matter of confusion among us. Let me just illustrate with a very concrete, tangible example. Let's imagine two brothers, Brother A and Brother B, and selections, time for elections for both the school board and consistory. Brother A is nominated for school board. Brother B is nominated for consistory. And they both are elected. Now as they take on their task, do they have the same task? Well, of course, they should carry out their tasks with diligence and with honesty. Of course, they should be, seek to be biblical in applying the Scriptures to the issues that confront them, whether it's at the school board table or at the consistory table. But what should not be lost on us is there's a huge and fundamental difference between those two positions. Brother A, who was elected to the school board, was elected on behalf of parents who have the God-given responsibility to educate their children. And so the appropriate question for Brother A sitting at the school board is what is biblical, but also what is in the interest of the parents whom I represented. He has a mandate that comes from the parents. He is there in the place of parents. It's impractical for every parent to be present for every decision. So we elect a representative group to make decisions on behalf of parents. But they are making parenting decisions. 
If Brother B, who's elected to the consistory, were to apply the same logic, he would be unfaithful. Because those who are elected to the consistory are not elected to represent those who voted for them. Their authority comes not from those who have voted for them. Their authority comes from God. They hold an office, not a position. The process of voting is simply a means by which we determine what God's will is. But the office is there to represent Christ. A far higher and a far different calling. And even a far different way of making our decisions. And both are important. But they are different. And the difference and the importance of office also as the means by which God has been pleased to call and gather his church is an important thing for us to be conscious of. Brothers, you are in the consistory, you are not here to represent the congregation. Oh, while gentle and sensitive to the sheep that God has put under your care, you are here to represent Christ. Christ sends office bearers. And the authority of Christ is what provides the authority of the office. And it's Christ's presence in the church through his office is indeed how God is pleased to grow and strengthen his church. Which brings us to our third point. Barnabas is used. Verse 23. Then when he arrived and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them with all purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. Barnabas is qualified, he's sent, and what does he do? He puts his hand to the plow. He does his task with diligence, with purpose of heart. They should continue with the Lord. That's a consequence of Barnabas' example. He's not casual about what he does. And what do we read? He had eyes... When he came, he had seen the grace of God. Perhaps this is the key to the entire passage, isn't it? Barnabas had eyes to see the grace of God. Now remember the context. He's not sent here because everything's all going well and wonderful. He's sent here because... The gospel had been preached to a group of Greeks and they had joined the church and no one knew what to do with this all. Was this right? Was this a sign of the church throwing away Old Testament laws and throwing away Orthodox teaching? There was confusion in the midst of the church. We're not told the details, But reading through this and the passages that will carry all the way through Acts 15, we can read that there were divisions in the church. And Barnabas comes to Antioch. We have no evidence that he knew the people of Antioch. He's sent here by Jerusalem. He comes, he takes up his task. And how is he to determine which side is right? This is the way we do things in Jerusalem, so why don't you guys? No. Well, Barnabas comes and he has the eyes to see the grace of God at work, is what we are told. 
It's so easy to come always and look for what is wrong. And certainly part of the office bearer task is to protect the sheep from wolves and sheep's clothing. But let's not forget the important task of seeing the grace of God. The eyes of discernment. Do we all have those eyes to see grace? No, by nature, none of us do. By nature, we are born blind to the grace of God. It is a gift of God to have our eyes open to see. There's more that we can say than that this is just a miracle. In order to see grace, you have to know grace. Barnabas knew grace. He could recognize it. Why? Because God had worked grace in his heart. He didn't come as Barnabas, the the office bearer here, to check things out and to put things straight. No. He came as a fellow sinner saved by grace. Knowing that whatever he had was a gift of God, of God's goodness, of God's grace. He knew something of that relationship with God. Because he knew it, he could recognize it when he saw it. Barnabas didn't have the Bible as we have. But I think it's not reading into the text to say that Barnabas evidently, being a man who had been selected and later we'll read, he taught and was in a leadership position, he knew God's Word. How do you know grace? How do you know whether grace is God's grace or, or false grace? How can you discern between true faith and and counterfeit faith? Well, part of it is being steeped in the Word of God and knowing God. Recognizing what is authentic from Him. And He was filled, we were told, with the Holy Spirit. Oh, indeed, when we read the Scriptures without the help of the Holy Spirit, they are just words on a page. But when we read with the Holy Spirit in us, they become powerful within us. They also open our eyes to see grace at work. And oh, how every child of God, but also every office bearer delights when you can see grace. When you can be reminded that God has not abandoned us, but is faithful and true to His promises and is working even here, even in Antioch, even among the Greeks, who up until now we had no conception would be part of His kingdom. And it doesn't cause Barnabas to be hostile. No, he rejoiced. God's plans were greater than even he could have imagined before. God's grace is richer and more broad and brings in more into the church. It is even more glorious than he thought it would have been. He had eyes to see grace, we read. And when he seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them all with purpose. He did it with joy. What a blessing when office bearers can carry out their tasks with joy. 2 Corinthians 1.24, not that we lord it over your faith. We work with you for your joy. 
for you stand firm in your faith. When office bearers are able to carry out their place in the midst of the church with joy, it brings the church joy, brings the people of God joy. Hebrews 13, 17, and 18, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It sounds somber and serious, doesn't it? Let them do this with joy, the writer of the Hebrews says, not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Oh, to have eyes to see the grace of God and to encourage with joy those who are receiving it. Well, did Barnabas show up in Antioch and then turn around and the happy news and go back? to tell the people of Jerusalem. He was sent by the church of Jerusalem to investigate. But oh, what's happened? Well, we read the rest of the passage. You know, there was a period of time with great blessing. He was there and he responded in joy and even more blessings came and more were added to the church. And Barnabas, assessing the situation in Antioch, recognizes that they need more help. So what does he do? He goes to Tarsus. And he brings back Paul. In verse 26, for a whole year they, that's Barnabas and Paul, assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Yes, the work of office bears not ad hoc. It's not for a moment. It's perseverance. And as I said, as we turn to subsequent chapters, we're going to see that it's not always as happy as it was in Antioch during this first year. Barnabas' ministry could only be described as a very difficult one. And yet they persevered. Brother office bearers, are you able to do your work with joy and with diligence? congregation be thankful when God gives us such office bearers and we're called to respect them because God gives them for the good of our souls which leads us to our final point the church is blessed verse 23 with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord Perhaps you were thinking when I announced the title Church is Blessed or when you read the bulletin outline that I would have referred to one of the three times in the passages in which many were added to the church. And indeed, the church was blessed during this period of time with great additions and growth, numerical growth, visible growth. And indeed, we should not have small thoughts of God. We know that God's church, while at any given moment may be a remnant in a particular place, ultimately is a multitude that no man can number, drawn from every tribe and nation and tongue. Oh, I fear so often we have such small thoughts of God and we think of ourselves as when we get to heaven, there's only going to be, only going to be a few of us. No, brothers and sisters, there's going to be so many of us from so many different backgrounds. 
we're going to stand amazed at the greatness and the grandeur of the glory of God, and we're going to see grace like we've never seen it before. Oh, praise God, we know that's true from God's Word. And yet, is it not true in our day-to-day experience we so often do not see the, the grace of God at work even among us? Not just in numbers. No, with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. We need to tie the phrase continue with the Lord in verse 23 with assembled together in verse 26. They were taught by assembling together. I don't have time to unpack the whole thing. But really what we have is a picture of the church in the new, in the, throughout the book of Acts meeting very regularly. The emphasis in the book of Acts is much more on corporate Bible study and corporate worship than it is on individual devotions. I sometimes wonder not to negate individual devotions. I fear that I speak only for myself. That's an area of life that Satan attacks first and is the easiest to leave behind. No, we need to walk with God in our daily prayer and Bible reading and our family worship. But the characteristic of the New Testament church in the book of Acts is that they assembled together and they were taught and they grew when they met together in worship. They belonged together. There was a desire to learn. And yes, verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. They didn't just look at their own. We see they had a big vision of the expansion of the gospel through the then-known world. Oh, indeed, our passage starts in Jerusalem, begins in Antioch, but it ends with famine in Judea and Jerusalem and the church at Antioch providing back for the church of Jerusalem a global sense of one church belonging together. And they gave, verse 29, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Do you and I have such a sense of the church? A global sense of the church? I've taken lately to a new app I found actually called Operation World, which every day downloads for you a country in the world with a description of the church and three or four things to pray for. So I've been using it. I've found it sobering to think I, Pakistan, I had no idea what Brother Brunsfeld was going to say, but it so happens that Pakistan was the country that was there yesterday. To think of in our day-to-day life of the fact of the circumstances our brothers and sisters are going around the world not only sensitizes you to the different ways that God is working and having a, a perspective of the church that goes beyond the problems that sometimes appear locally and we may even sometimes make more of than need to be. We need to have a very big picture of God. What is God doing today? When Jesus ascended on Ascension Day to the right hand of the throne of God, what is He doing? Is He putting in time until He comes again? Children, do you remember from catechism class what Jesus is doing on the right hand of the throne of God? Question and answer 54. What do you believe regarding the Holy Catholic Church? That out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, 
the Son of God, Jesus, by the Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself to everlasting life a chosen communion in the unity of true faith that I am and forever will remain a living member thereof. The preoccupation of Christ at the right hand of the throne of God today as it has been from the beginning to the end of the world, is gathering, defending, and preserving for himself a church. The bride. Who when she is fully gathered, he will come again and will have the great wedding feast. And how is he doing that? Through office bearers. Through Paul, and through Peter, and through Barnabas, and through pastors, and elders, and deacons today. Oh yes, he uses the priesthood of all believers as well, but the church, the corporate body is what is described throughout the book of Acts and throughout the book of Revelation. The presence of office bearers also in Providence Free Reformed Church is a reminder that God still cares for us. Oh brothers, what a high calling you have. Be diligent. Be prayerful and dependent. Trust God for blessing. Rely on His Spirit. And look with the eyes of grace to see God's grace. Congregation, is this how we view our office bearers? When they walk into church, when we read a consistory report, when they call you for a home visit, Do we pray for them when they're meeting? What do you think the church of Antioch, the church of Jerusalem, thought of Barnabas? A few chapters will come to the particulars of the challenges they face. This chapter sets it as the context, the difficulties, but it doesn't give us much detail. And yet we can see that Barnabas was used to bring unity and growth to the church in a difficult circumstance. At the end of chapter 12, Paul and Barnabas return to Jerusalem bringing the the gifts. And we'll see in chapter 13, they are then sent off as missionaries. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Oh, there were many Barnabases throughout church history. And there are many Barnabases today that God is pleased to use. The Holy Spirit has given this Barnabas in the book of Acts as instruction and encouragement for us, but also realism. Barnabas is used and blessed by God, and even today, he's part of that assembled gathering in heaven, worshiping and waiting for the day when the church will be complete. But it's not about... Not away from us thy face. Establish thou Messiah's throne, and let him reign within this place. And in the voice of God, I will abundantly provide For Zion's good, the Lord has said, I will supply her daily need. I'll satisfy her poor with bread. Salvation shall adorn her priests. Her saints shall shout with joy divine. Messiah's power shall be revealed. And his glory in the church shall shine. Let's pray together. Oh, what a day it will be when the church will be fully gathered 
Lord, we'll be sanctified by you. And we will be the image bearers that you made us to be designed for communion and fellowship with God. Oh, hasten the day. And in the meantime, Lord, as you call us to serve you even in the here and now, Lord, be with each of us. Help us to use our gifts joyfully in service of the church. And help us also to have the eyes of faith, the eyes of grace, to see the gifts that you give us in office bearers that you provide. Lord, we pray for our brothers who hold the office also in this congregation. Lord, will you richly provide for them and bless us through them. We thank you, Lord, for these portions also of your word. We pray that what was sinful and shortcoming in this, present, in this exposition, Lord, will you forgive that and, Lord, instruct us all by your Holy Spirit. Take your word, apply it. Be with us as we go from this place. Bless us and make us a blessing. Bring us together at the appointed time. We ask for Jesus' sake only. Amen.